Hi, everyone. On this edition of Scouting for Growth, I will be joined by Chris Hutchinson, CEO of Canopy, a company on a mission to revolutionize renting and helping people grow both financially by creating a better life for themselves and easily uh, by becoming financially resilient. As the CEO of Canopy, Chris is an optimistic, result-oriented senior leader with clear interest in building highly effective teams. And I very much enjoyed last year's working with Chris on our TBS Media and CBS News Digital Ecosystem campaign, which also involved Richard King, um, uh, CEO of Ticker. So during the course of the podcast, we will discuss three main topics. How Chris moved from his CFO role to landing the top seat at Canopy. Why financial resilience is such an important topic across markets and the three most important takeaways from scaling a startup during an economic downturn. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, do not forget to subscribe to it, rate it and provide a comment here below. If there is a topic that you feel needs addressing, just send me a message using the channel option listed below too. So let's welcome Chris. Hi, Chris. Thank you for joining on Scouting for Growth. A pleasure. Well, long-awaiting, well, long-awaited chat, actually. We've been trying to plan this for a while. Totally, we have. We have. It's been uh, it's been months, actually, I think. Yes, and so I'm really, really thrilled to um, have you on the podcast today to talk about Canopy. And so let's start with some introduction. Let's talk about Chris, because Chris, you have a background as a CFO. And yep. it would be great to understand how your skill as a financial director has enabled you to become a CEO for Canopy today. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's actually really really important nowadays to have obviously a background with numbers, right? I mean, businesses are inherently all about delivery and product and and everything that's great about delivering for your end user or your end customer, but fundamentally a business isn't going to be viable and successful unless it comes down ultimately to numbers. So I think there's definitely a benefit, obviously, just inherent in being comfortable and confident with numbers in then taking the, the hot seat as a CEO. Um, I think also the other thing that's key to remember is that a lot of finance guys, if we call them that, finance girls, the CFOs, the finance directors, the heads of finance are often... Um, two ICs, second in charge, quite often to a founder or a CEO prior to moving into the CEO position. And as such, have a much broader breadth of understanding of a, of a company than most of the other people in the organization do before they take that, that hot seat. Um, and I think more broadly than that, as you grow in your career in finance, you have a relatively unique position where you're involved in pretty much every area of the business while also sitting on top of sort of big key strategic decisions and helping to make the right decision for a business. So you're often very well sort of versed in in the whole landscape of a business, mm-hmm. both strategic people, as well as obviously the operational day to day side of things. So I think it's a relatively nice, nice transition. Um, my story was funny, actually, in a sense of, I guess, 
I always knew that I really enjoyed the strategic and people element of of the role. Um, not more so than the finance side, but but equally uh, alongside the numbers. Uh, and knew, I guess, ultimately that, it, that I'd love to get into a role which encapsulated that more than just what we were involved in as uh, a finance director within a business. Yeah. And we had a, you know, but I, I guess I'd have, I'd have assumed that it was going to take a little bit longer for me to personally get into into that in another role in another entity. But our founder um, decided to step down uh, and that presented us with an opportunity at Canopy to backfill that role to find somebody that that wanted to take on the leadership of the business and grow it from ideation and uh, uh, the early stages of product market fit into a bigger uh, a bigger entity and, and seeing that performance and i had relationships internally and externally with partners and shareholders as well as that really good thorough broad understanding of the business so it kind of made sense um, for, for me to step into that role and it made the transition much easier much much easier so what are your superpowers? Important question, Chris. What are your superpowers? It is to me, although it seems so egotistical, doesn't it, calling them superpowers? And to be honest, I'm not normally uh, not normally one to shy away from uh, from an egotistical statement. But uh, it's funny. I think I th I'd say there's two. There's two things. So um, partnerships. Firstly, I think one of the things that I absolutely love. Um, about sort of the, the the modern age of business is that we've really moved on. It feels from negotiation and win lose economics um, and being taught to get one over on the competition, um, even in a partnership scenario, right? Where you're trying to both win out of it into something which is far more prevalent of a win win type of partnership solution, where you can find solutions where you both benefit. And I think seeing that both sides can achieve that being able to leverage the intent build the personal side and also then find those solutions that really work for both parties knowing kind of inherently it's a, it's a level of understanding of us in the business right as to what can we bring from our side that's going to benefit the other party as well as what do we want from from their uh, from their side and i love that and, and that's definitely that that intent the ability to get that over the line and to to seek it out and to deliver it is definitely a strength of mine for sure um and I think the other side is, uh, I, I don't know what to call it, but I guess I'm very good at seeing quite quickly which ideas are worth executing and then executing on them. And I guess this comes to something that I'm definitely not, right? And that is, I'm absolutely not a visionary. Um, I'm definitely not your creative founder type that's going to sit there and create the world's next biggest thing from their, from their shed at the top of the garden. But... Um, but I do think I have a skill for being able to pick up on what is a contextually really, really good idea and then execute it and deliver on it. And I think that's actually really powerful because it's a skill often, for me, it feels somewhat overlooked in startups where vision is always seen as incredibly valuable and the passion of a founder is, is undoubtedly one of the most important things that gets it off the ground. But inherently, the reason that the majority of startups fail, especially between that seed and series A, uh, series A stage, probably isn't because they don't have a great idea. It's because they're unable to execute on that idea. Um, and so that's, I guess, that, that skill set fits in. Yeah, no, that's superb. And, you know, when we evaluate startups, as you know, we often look at four key ingredients, the team. We look at, for sure, the finances, cash flow, but also the ability to execute. 
in addition to the technology and the timing of the technology, but the ability to execute is key. And I think one thing yeah. I think I know about you is um, a very important word nowadays, I think, um, press, humility. Uh, I think what I know about you as well is that you work with your team and you don't try to be the boss of everyone. Uh, you are trying to work as a team. And I think being able to have that sense of humility, you know, sometimes you have founders who have this Uberus and think they are so good that they are above everyone. Uh, being yeah. able to respond to others and have this level of humility, I think today is very important as well. <laughs> Thank you. I think that's very kind. I think it's about it's about how you build your team, isn't it, as well, right? In a sense of, are you building a team because they're going to deliver for you and you're going to demand everything of them and they need to meet those expectations? Or are you hiring people who are really, really good at what they do and you're hiring them because they have the expertise that you don't have, mm -hmm. right? Whether that's specific marketing expertise, SEO ex expertise, whether that's specific sales and partnership expertise, whether it's a finance expertise. Um, I guess my view is a little bit, you're hiring them because they have that knowledge base that you don't have and you're hiring them to be experts in their field. So you need to give them that ability to, to run with it and to come to you with ideas, right? And you'll always make the bigger strategic calls and you'll, you know, we're there to sort of guide the ship and make sure all of those different people are heading in the right direction, but not to, uh, certainly not to tell each one of them what to do. Uh, on a day-to-day -day basis from an operational side of things. That's, um, yeah, that's definitely the way that, that I operate. Mm -hmm. So tell us about Canopy, you know, how would you categorize the business you are leading as, um, you know, one which is enabling and driving financial resilience for the renter community? Tell us more. Yeah, so I guess, so Canopy is essentially what we're trying to do is shake up the rental industry. Um, in the UK, predominantly and initially, but then obviously looking uh, broader to international um, expansion in the future. Essentially, what we are is we're a, I guess we're a tech-driven company uh, that improves the lives of letting agents and tenants uh, by offering a solution that basically identifies the right tenant for the right property really quickly, really easily. So it makes that point of mobility much, much easier. And then secondarily, we work with those renters uh, that come through our platform to create a brighter future for them by bu building their financial health, their financial resilience, and trying to create an equal opportunity for, for those renters, whatever their background and whatever their goal. You know, some renters have an ambition to work towards home ownership, and that's probably, I think the stats vary between 70 and 90% of renters who really want to aspire towards to, to being a homeowner. Um, but also lots of them just want to enjoy their lives while they're living in the property, have a little bit more money in their pocket, be able to make different decisions, save up for holidays or um, or a car, etc. So everybody has their life, their own life goals. And um, and we want to make the, those a little bit more possible by improving their finances. Superb. And what does a day in your life look like? <laughs> a day in my life... Uh, I typically get woken up by my four-year-old uh, at seven, probably just before seven o'clock, uh, shouting to everybody in my house, which is only her and my, my wife and I, uh, shouting <laughs> for us to wake up uh, and, and get her out of bed. Uh, that's typically how it starts almost every morning. Uh, and then I'll either get up with, with her or I'll, uh, or I'll pop to the, 
pop to the gym and sort of blow off the cobwebs. Um, my background was as a, a competitive swimmer. So growing up, feeling healthy, feeling strong, feeling, uh, feeling sort of energized is, is very important to me to get, to get the most out of my day. Um, I'm also, by the way, a big believer in sleep. So that'll sort of feature on, on, in my day, but I'll typically, look, I'll, I'll head to the office and, and now with remote working, it's really, obviously it's been a game changer for, for lots and lots of people. We, I'm very lucky, very fortunate to have a, an office at the top of my garden. So my commute is now 20 meters rather than, uh, rather than sort of an hour and a half each way to London and back. But, you know, we, as a business, we have uh, no office in London anymore. So we're largely fully remote. We have an office in Nottingham uh, for our operations team. But even those are, they're in there three days a week and, and two days remote. So we like to be a remote first company. We think that it's benefited us certainly with regards to um, hiring the right talent, which is always a challenge in a small business. Um, finding the right talent, finding the people who actually want to be part of uh, a fast growing startup or scale up. Quite often they they want to be remote or at least have remote as, and flexibility as part of their role. So we found that that worked and there's inherently benefits to to all of our lives from uh, from being around home a little bit more we have people in obviously nottingham but we have people in coventry in brighton in bristol in southampton in the new forest we're we're fairly geographically spread and so actually it, it makes sense to to not necessarily have an office that we're not going to use um so i head up around 8 eight thirty to my uh, to my home office check emails and one of the biggest things that um that i find because i'm largely in back-to-backs pretty much all day, either speaking to partners, the team, developing new opportunities or going through funding activities. That, um, that the hardest bit is actually prioritizing, but also reprioritizing. So during a day, inevitably things just don't happen that you planned to happen at the beginning of the day. And so I must be reprioritizing my to-do list and my diary maybe three times each day. So once first thing when I get into the office, once at lunchtime and then once sort of mid-afternoon. And it's probably taken me 15 years or so to work out what works for me in terms of action lists, how I do it, how I store it, etc. But having an action list which has small items as well as the big items to do each day so that I can quite quickly and easily in the morning highlight some green rows actually is really motivating because you know that you're doing something, you're delivering something, you're getting through it. Uh, so I tend to do that a lot. I finish around about 10 to 7 each day. Uh, I put my daughter to bed or aim to put her to bed most evenings at seven. So I tend to walk in at, at 10 to seven. And I think that's really important for family life, for, for obviously my personal bond, for my sort of mental health. But I think also having a, a line in the sand almost every day where I do switch off. And I try not to turn back on after that time. So after sort of 7 p.m. Um, I've witnessed burnout in corporate environments when I've worked in corporate businesses. I've witnessed burnout in startups, lots of burnout uh, burn in startups and actually one of the key things that we need to understand and need to sort of take heed of is the fact that you need a break you need a rest you need your mind to mm -hmm. to unwind and relax and, and most of the, the good ideas you have actually surprisingly come at, at points when you're most relaxed and, and you're sort of just letting your mind wander so being able to switch off for a couple of hours each night uh, and find out what works for you is pretty important. For me, I need I need seven hours, eight hours of sleep every night. I don't function on four hours. I've tried it. Uh, it didn't really work. Um, and it's about what's right for uh, for you as an individual, right? So I, I definitely worked out what was right for me, what seems to work, what keeps my energy levels high. And you need a lot of energy when you're uh, in a startup, as you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
and and that's what works for me I mean, great to, to, to hear. And, you know, if you were going to give a couple of tips, your tips to our listener, what would be the two first things or two most important things which you have implemented in your life as a company CEO, um, which has been instrumental to get you this energy and your ability to function every day? Um. I guess, I guess initially, to the, to the point I just raised, I think finding out what keeps you in the game is the most is the critically most important thing that, that I've certainly done. Um, and for me, that is absolutely spending time with with my family and, and carving out blocks of time that I I don't eat into, making sure that I get a good good amount of sleep every night, and also making sure that I start the week with the team going through our very clear defined action list of what we want to achieve by the end of the week. Those are just some key things which have really made me perform better in my role and make me, as I say, have that energy, but also really just start that week clear on exactly what it is we want to deliver. That's uh, yeah. That's been a big deal for me. That's cool. So let's talk about um, Canopy and the rental market in Europe. I think with current situation, things are changing and moving still. <laughs> Young renters, needs property to live in at the right price. And so can you provide us some insights around prop tech and, you know, financial resilience and the rental market in Europe? Yeah, Europe is, um, it, it shares many similarities to the UK, but equally quite a few differences. Um, the similarities are largely the way that we interact with the market has consistency in a sense of quite often we use portals, we have private landlords as well as institutional landlords. The demographic is is largely similar in a sense of being uh, younger. And often they are also, you know, renters throughout Europe and throughout the rest of the world also do skew towards um, being less financially resilient, having less buffer, um, as it were, just by the nature of being not on the property ladder and not having the, uh, the abilities and the asset to get on the property ladder they therefore fall into a rental sphere. So um, there are similarities. The differences actually are that um, in the UK, we've always had an ambition towards home ownership. Um, we've always been told by previous generations that, um, you know, renting is throwing your money down the drain. It's paying somebody else's mortgage. Um, why aren't you yet on the property ladder? But in other European markets, that has never been a particular ambition. Of course it is for some, but it's never been the overriding ambition of the market. They accept that actually uh, renting affords you quite a lot actually it affords you the ability to live in locations you couldn't necessarily afford to buy in it affords you the ability to move more frequently without obviously being tied down by big fees and and it allows you to sort of be flexible in your specifically in your younger life um, and, and almost use it as a lifestyle option you know we we see that subscriptions have taken off dramatically obviously in the last sort of 10 years or so and the ultimate subscription is your property, your rental property, right? Being able to, to have that flexibility to, to cancel it, to move on, to switch out to a different place, increase your uh, increase the price, lower the price is all sort of what's available to you if you rent. So I think other markets have, have adopted that. The key difference actually is that it's, as a business, it's probably somewhat easier in international markets to operate. The large proportion of international markets are dominated by what's called institutional landlords. So they are 
big companies who have large amounts of money from investment pots or pension funds or whatever, and they invest them in building properties quite often and then managing those properties. Um, large parts of Europe are, are dominated by by those uh, by those companies and Deutsche Wohnen and, and other companies, LEG, et cetera, in Germany, share them. they have the majority of the market. Now, what that means from a company perspective is that if you're looking to sell a product into a landlord, you only need to sell that product to one landlord, although it's a big one, to one landlord, and you have huge scale and breadth immediately. The UK market has less than 5% of the market is made up by institutional landlords. The majority are mum and pop landlords who own one or two properties potentially. And that creates that, that a slight barrier to working with the market because actually you have to win over every single one, every single time, rather than having access to that wider pool. Um, so that's kind of one of the key the key differentiators, I think. Although that is the fastest growing sector of the UK market okay. uh, by some okay. margin. Uh, so it's been expanding over the past five or six years, and there's a lot in the pipeline, a lot of developments in the pipeline, which will take more market share, especially as legislation forces some uh, landlords, private landlords to leave the market. Um, that that void will be taken up by institutional landlords. But there's a big chasm. You know, it's probably 50, 60% of the German market as an example, whereas it's probably less than 5% of the UK market. Which means, you know, transformation will be, therefore, all the approach needs to be different from one market to the other when you start yeah. uh, addressing that rental market. And, you know, in France as well, you know, there, it's less of a buyer market. For sure, people are buying properties and homes for their families, but a lot of people are renting still for their whole yeah. life in some European yeah. markets, France being one of them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the average tenure is a really good example. So the average tenure of uh, your your average renter in the UK is about 20 months. Right? Wow. which kind of it kind of indicates somewhere between a year-long contract and a two-year-long contract and it skews towards the two-year-long contract in germany and france it's over 10 years mm -hmm. in the same property so it's um as you say that that alludes to the longevity that people are used to living in their property and um and the mobility as well so in the uk there's absolutely a need to improve that point of move and make it easier make it um open it up make it more um, accessible to individuals. And that's important because it happens so frequently. There's still the same requirement in, in international markets, but actually it's different. And as you say, that's where you need to tailor your solution. So that event happens maybe once every 10 years, once every five to 10 years, which is far less time than in the UK, but it allows you, obviously, you only have that one touch point then to really impress them, mm -hmm. which is quite key. Uh, but also they really, really need a solution which takes into account everything that they've been through in that previous five to 10 years, because so much will have changed in their life that you need to understand that individual before they move so that they can get into their, their new place with sort of all of that history that they've built up um, at their fingertips. Yeah. And so how you are trying transforming the lives of those renters uh, with the platform? Yeah, so we've got two two core products, really. Um, so we have the Rent Passport. And the Rent Passport is essentially redefining um, uh, referencing. So uh, we determined that tenant referencing was out of date. And we basically just brought it up to the modern era. So we use technology like open banking, um, uh, deep API links into partners such as Experian, 
ID solutions to basically just make the whole process far, far more efficient and to surface the right information. So you get less fraud, it's faster. And what it does is it basically gets the right people into the right properties. So for example, you're able to open up rather than uploading three months of payslips, you're able to suddenly open up open banking, you're able to prove an entire 12 months of, of, of your previous income payments. You're able to prove exactly what you earn, whether you have benefits, whether you're self-employed, whether you have savings, you're able to take all of that into account much quicker and easier. Because of the algorithms we have, you can then present that through to a, a letting agent and they just have to look at a summary on a report. What they don't need is to dig through everything themselves in detail. And also we're able to, to generate that really, really fast. So we can do what used to take three or four days in the industry. We can do it in three minutes because it's literally collecting some information, surfacing it, double checking it with a renter and then presenting that back through in a report. Now that gives us an ability to be more efficient as a business. So we know, for example, that we are, after the last uh, 12 months of testing, we're 59% faster than the incumbents in the market because things are automated. We're also, we have four and a half to five times less people actual you know bums on seats doing the referencing than the large incumbents because we rely more on technology we're able to leverage open banking we're able to automate journeys and create nice digital experiences that make it easier for the renter but it also makes our lives a little bit easier and what we find from a fraud perspective is that also helps with fraud the the predominant area of fraud for us is uploads of payslips now we probably see only 20% of all activity coming through the platform still relies on uploads of payslips. Everything else is done via open banking. And that means that 80% of all references that come through have a very, very low chance of being able to fraud. Whereas that 20%, we can then apply more direct focus to. So it's, um, it's beneficial for, as I said about those win-wins earlier, it's beneficial for the renter because they can do things quicker and easier and have that at their fingertips. It's beneficial for the agent and the landlord because they have it at their fingertips quicker and, and easily more easily digestible there's also less fraud for the landlord so we can be more confident in who we're putting forward and saying whether they're a good risk or a bad risk to live in their property and it's better for us because we can operate a more efficient business model that's superb and you know whilst you were talking i was remembering me as a young renter you know, after finishing my studies in France, I came to the UK. Yeah. And, you know, my first job, I remember sharing property with my um, MBA friends. And the interesting thing is you would go to properties and you would find the perfect properties and you would be scared that somebody else is taken away from you yeah. because yeah. the time to check all those different documents took so long that if somebody was prepared to pay more, they would probably, or, you know, we're British, you know, all my friends, we had a British person in the group, but my two, you know, my, my other friend was not from, from the UK. So, you know, there was more checks to be done as a result. And so being able to have that seamless uh, process, which is, I'm sure hours rather than days now, makes a yeah. massive difference on your ability to get the rental property you want, right? To totally. And at the moment, what we've seen in the market, Sabine, and you'll know this, is you've seen supply drop as landlords have kind of left the market. You've seen the number of people wanting to go for each property increase. And so therefore, you're often seeing 30, 35 people go for every property. So as a renter, you need to be able to put yourself on the front foot, right? You need to show that you're a good risk as early as possible. And also, there's an ability to 
set yourself apart, you know, on the way in rather than just providing a name and a contact number and an email address as a lead. Well, why don't you add a Canopy Rent Passport to it, which is totally free. And it shows you as I've had my checks done. This is who I am. This is my financial history. This is my affordability. You're putting yourself on the front foot, which means for the housing market, why do they want to search through 35 different names, numbers and, and phone calls when they could look at the four or five maybe which have the Canopy Rent Passport, they're rent ready, they're ready to go. Focus your time and energy on them because you've got more information. So it sets a renter out as being serious as a renter and it sets them in good stead to uh, to have a, a better advantage of winning a property. Yeah. And one thing I think also is which is very important to understand is you guys have built what we call a, a digital ecosystem or embedded digital ecosystem. And that's yep. where probably our relationship was grew up, right? From PropTech yeah, to ShieldTech. Can you tell us about that embedded ecosystem and how you're building for the renter and providing all the services which allow them to be resilient? Yeah, and I'll, and I'll jump back in a minute to um, to our second product because we, we kind of talked about the mobility product, but we also have a, a credit builder. Um, so it's interesting. The, I guess for us, what does what does the ecosystem really mean? Um, I think for us, what we did was we wanted to understand what our objectives were at our core as a business, and we kind of said, well, there are areas which we are going to own. We're going to dominate those. As I say, we have two products. We have uh, referencing the, the the rent passport, and we have a credit builder tool which is called Canopy Grow, which we'll go into in a minute. Those are our core. So we want to own those. We want to own the IP. We want to own the distribution. We want to control them because that's where we're building superb products that we specialize in, we focus on, and they are game-changing for, for renters, is our belief. Everything else that sits within there, we kind of said, well, actually, we know that we can partner with other providers of these services. We know that there are renters who we understand a lot about. We know them. We talk to them. We know that there's lots of challenges inherent in the rental process. We wanted to solve all of those problems rather than just one or two. But the reality is we don't have the resources or the ability to go and deliver on all of those things. But when we started to look around, we started to see lots and lots of corporates or startups or advisory firms or whatever. Everybody was starting to offer a solution to different parts of their, their pain points and doing so in a really clear way, i.e. they were product focused. They were delivering that solution and not a broad range of subject of, of solutions. So what we did was we looked to then partner with as many providers as possible to bring those solutions to renters at the contextually relevant point in time. So yes, we can help with that point of mobility when you want to look for your new property and you need to be referenced and we can help you all the way from pre-qualification through into a proper reference before you move into your property. But also what then happens, right? We don't want to just leave somebody, just let go of the hand and, and let them walk off into the dark. We know that it's really painful to move, right? You often don't know what happens. Yes, you might move every 20 months, but nobody's ever really taught you what happens next. What should you be looking for? What should you do when you walk into a property and have a look around and have a tour? What sort of things should you be looking to spot, etc.? So what we do is we try and handhold that process a little bit more through content, but also through partnerships. So, for example, we, we partner... Uh, with a great partner of ours, Just Move In, we offer something called Canopy uh, Move, which essentially, once you've done that reference, you can spend, you can either go through a beautiful digital journey or you can spend 10 minutes on the phone to somebody and just set everything up. Set all of your, uh, all of your sort of address changes up, new utilities up, whichever Sky TV or Virgin or whatever broadband provider you want set up, you can do it all completely free just over the phone. 
And so little solutions like that, where we didn't want to offer those solutions, but we wanted to make sure that we could put them forward to a renter because it's genuinely valuable. That was where we needed to, to partner. And so we've built an ecosystem or a web of partnerships, which enables us to offer far more than what we can offer to an individual. And I love it because it's also showing the ability of Canopy to really embrace those ecosystem thinking, which I think is, if you don't mind me saying, a normal for businesses which have been so focused on personal growth and focusing on themselves. Um, a lot of the research I've done last year, as you know, around digital ecosystem yeah. shows that your brain needs to work differently and um, businesses altogether need to think about competition in very different ways because one and one can equal 15 if you do it the right way and you understand the nodes of your uh, ecosystem so as an orchestrator that are going to yield the highest return for growth totally and it's all about it's all about the user experience right so a renter who's being bombarded with let's say, let's just use an example, 20 different companies who do slightly different things at different parts of the rental life cycle, but they're being bombarded on their phone or on billboards or whatever with all this information on every single different part. It's really difficult to distill that down into when do I need that product? Do I actually need it? What's right for me? And so what we need to do is, is inherently, as you say, as a collective or as an ecosystem, come together to understand that end-to-end life cycle and offer up just the right product at the right point in time to the right user you know some stuff won't be relevant to specific renters or users and so you can hide that there's no point confusing them so by joining together in that collaboration as you alluded to you definitely become you build a better user experience a better user journey and in that way they interact with you more they stay with you more because it also builds trust yeah tell us about canopy grow yeah sorry i knew we'd come back to that one so um so canopy grow is our second proposition so aside from that point of move which we know is a big challenge or a big pain point the other thing we found was actually the to your point on financial resilience financial resilience financial health of renters is difficult and it's deteriorating at the moment so fundamentally you've got um what have you got you've got housing shortages increasing rents cost of living crisis huge mortgage deposits all of those things are impacting um rental affordability now we got some. Uh, we, we saw some stats um, over the last sort of twelve months or so. There are five point two million people in the UK who are totally invisible to the uh, to the financial services industry, and what that means is non-existent credit file. Now, without a credit file, you can't get a mobile phone contract. You certainly can't get a mortgage, and you're also not going to be able to access loans, credit as and when you need them, especially not at, at decent competitive rates. One of the other stats we saw was that around about a quarter of renters don't have enough in savings. And this talks to financial resilience. They don't have enough in savings to cover one month's rent if they were to lose their job or, uh, or have job uncertainty. Now, what that actually means is the average rent is just under a thousand pounds. So 25% of renters don't have a thousand pounds in savings. to It's cover incredible though, Chris, incredible. it's incredible. And, and, but it plays to that point as a lot of them are unable to save or they're not aware of how to save and, and build up their financial resilience. And so that puts them at risk. And that plays into the final stat that, that I want to mention, which is half a million people in the UK are currently in rent arrears. They're behind on their rental payments, which means they're at risk of eviction. Now, we've seen that number jump up fairly considerably post, obviously, the pandemic and increasing uh, job losses. But you tie those things together and you go, there's more and more people at risk, more and more people are falling behind on rent. And a bit like we talked about win-win with partnerships, this is where there's a big negative, right? Nobody wants to be behind on their rental payments. Nobody wants to 
have an eviction notice started against them. But equally, landlords don't want it either, right? Landlords don't want to have to evict people. They don't want to have people behind on their bills, right? They also quite often have buy-to-let mortgages to pay. So it doesn't actually work for anybody to be in that position. And what we want to do is see how can we build an ecosystem again more broadly that then starts to help facilitate improving some of that financial health, improving that financial resilience. And what we've done is we've started with the credit score. So we have built the first financial and credit health builder for renters, specifically for renters. So it includes uh, rent tracking. So what that means is you're able to uh, track your rental payments. You know, it's typically 40, 50% of somebody's income goes on paying their rent, but that's never been accounted for when it comes to credit scores. So now you can track that rental payment using open banking, uploading your payslip, uh, sorry, uploading your um, tenancy agreement, your documents. So we can verify that it's paid on full in time. And if it is, we report that through to the to the credit bureaus and give it a big green tick every month, which should improve your um, credit chances, your credit score, et cetera, will go up because of that. Secondarily, education is so... Um, uh, is, is not is not provided enough in terms of early enough. So, you know, really building up somebody's financial knowledge, their ability, their power to actually make the right decisions for them and where they want to be in the future. So we do help to educate specifically more around the credit score, but how important it is and what you can do to put yourself on a positive footing. That actually has a really powerful impact on the ability for somebody to move their credit score beyond what we can do, but actually what they can control and what they can own in some really simple, basic steps. And then the third thing is we have a clever credit feature. So it's a subscription payment, which we're able to turn into a credit loan agreement. And we're able to report that subscription payment to the credit bureaus to sort of add a boost to your credit score as well. So we see typically over 100 points of improvement within a three month period for the average renter that joins our platform. And tell us what 100 points mean. It's a huge, hugely material movement. So your your credit score goes between naught and 1000. And so 100 points within a small amount of time as an average is a, is a pretty material movement. Now, what it means is your movement between a very good and an excellent score, for example, could mean £40,000 on the average mortgage. It could mean around about £1,000 on the average loan. Or it could mean £350, £400 on a, on a car agreement. So it's it varies, but it can mean proper substantial numbers. And therefore, essentially, just by improving your credit score, you can put proper money back in your pocket, as well as having accessibility to, to products that you might need at any point in time. So it's um, it's hugely valuable, hugely valuable. And we've built, we've built that product, uh, we've launched it, and we're working with a bunch of, um, with quite a few partners to present that to to renters who are most in need, um, so that we can really help to, to build their financial resilience and ultimately their financial health and help them work towards... Um, help them work towards their goals. Hmm. There are two points I would like to share with you. First, you mostly focus on on, on the renter, am I right? What about the uh, property owner? How do they get the most benefit of the platform too? Yeah, so we yeah, we absolutely, we've got the renter at our heart. You know, we focus on products which improve the lives of renters. Um, but as we alluded to lots of times, it's about a win-win. So what's often right for the renter is totally right for the landlord or for the agent. What we see quite often is this combative nature between um, renters and landlords, and it, it always feels like one size def- one side 
needs to win over the other. But the reality is, as I said, with uh, with rental payments falling into rent arrears, it's a bad situation for both of them. It's the same thing with most of what we do, actually. So a renter who is paying their bills in full on time with our credit builder, and therefore they're incentivized to pay their bills in full and on time because it's improving their credit score. It's better for the renter. They're getting that part of their big payment actually taken into account, but it's also better for the landlord. The landlord knows that they have far, far less chance of falling into rent arrears because that renter's going to make sure that they pay their bills because actually it's, it counts towards something. It's not throwing money down the drain anymore. It's adding value to that, to that rental payment. And the same with moving, as I said, with moving. Yes, it's better for the renter to be able to put themselves ahead of the crowd, but it's also better for the landlord to be able to see that at their fingertips in a far more quick and efficient way. So we, we try and build benefits for both sides. That's cool. So the, the reason why I was also asking that question is uh, last week I was talking to um, Axel Thibon, uh, who is the CEO of Wisest in the United States, a banker who actually is building a platform which drives financial resilience from a banking viewpoint, education, the things you were actually mentioning earlier, that a yep. lot of people, 5 million you said in the UK, do not have the right financial education. So therefore, they do not know how to get out of their pain. Yep. The second point I wanted to share with you is um, one of the property I used to own, um, I had um, a tenant in it who actually belonged to a very, very wealthy family. And one day she stopped paying rent because she had a massive argument with her father. It took me three, four months to get her out of the property. And she, you know, after this argument, she literally, her father didn't want to support her anymore. It was the weirdest thing. And, um, and she was a student. Let's just be clear, she was not working. She was a student. She was reliant yep, yep. on her parent. And as a property owner uh, who needed, you know, that rental money uh, for the property I was not living in, it, it became a nightmare. And that is one thing I'm absolutely scared about when I rent the property is tenants which cannot hold their promises. Exactly. And, and but that, that's what ultimately that's what a reference is about, right? A reference is about is this the right person to rent your property, right? It's a it's, there's actually a big game of trust in a sense of it's your asset, it's your property, and you're letting somebody else live in it. So you need to be able to ensure that that person is the most likely to be able to pay their rent in full on time, not damage the property, etc. That's really important. So um yeah, it's, it's a it's a great example. I actually have a I have an example to share from the credit building side, actually, just in the yeah. last couple of weeks. So I um, I decided to follow some of the advice, obviously, from our own Canopy Grow app. And one of the things that it told me to do was it suggested if you have a relatively high credit score, and I'm very fortunate that I have a high credit score, um, it's harder to move the needle, right? It's, it's quite easy to move the needle if you have a, a non-existent or a low credit score because everything you're doing is providing some trust. If you have a high credit score, Actually, it's quite difficult because you've already proven that you're quite a good trust. And so you need to go above and beyond. Now, what that means is I was expecting it to be quite difficult to, to shift up. The reality is I took two pieces of advice and within actually weirdly within a month, my score improved by 66 points. And it's now it's now higher, which is great, but it improved by 66 points. So what I found interesting about that was that financial resilience and financial health means something to everybody and it means something to somebody without a credit file but equally somebody who has a good credit file can also benefit from from taking some of the actions and seeing some quite remarkable improvements 
Incredible. Um, yes. I didn't realize. Maybe that is yeah. another one I need to try. Yes. You know, I, mm. I, I own I own my property, so it's not something that uh, I mean, we played with the, the the application because I wanted to understand what was the experience for the renter. But it's interesting that anybody actually can also improve their uh, credit score, which goes into gamification, yeah. right? If one wants to be 100%, it could be a great way to be 100%. And that's totally, that's totally what I wanted to be. I kind of looked at it and I was like, why am I not at 100%? And, um, and I wasn't. So it, it kind of, and I'm still not, by the way, but it, it got me closer. <laughs> so what is the future? Tell us, what is the future for Canopy? So I think the future is um, we're looking to, so Canopy Grow launched um, back in October, November time. We're looking to to roll that out to more people so more people can benefit from improving their credit score and, and seeing what that means for them. We're looking to expand ultimately later this year, some of our product offering within that space. So rather than just a credit score, we want to understand what it is a renter wants from their financial health. We know that building a credit score is one, but ultimately, as I said, like 70 to 90% of the time, depending on, on, on which uh, research has been done, those people are, are working towards home ownership. Now, there are other things you need to do to get towards home ownership. So how can we accelerate that process? How can we help guide them on that pathway to home ownership if that's the track that we want to go down after we talk to to renters a little bit more so some product more specific product development around helping them to reach their financial goals is, is absolutely on the cards um, and the other thing is crucially around um, uh, some international expansion so we're looking at hopefully um, launching into germany in q2 of this year um, so we have built a, an incredibly good referencing engine essentially, which is what we use to power the, the, the platform in the UK. Uh, and we're looking to take that to international markets. As I say, they are different markets. There are slight nuances. So we'll tweak and tailor those solutions. <laughs> but but we'll also be able to, to make sure that we deliver them in the right way. What we need is we need a partner. So this is, again, the ecosystem play. If we go and try and set up and establish ourselves into Germany, we don't have contacts, we don't have a network, and it's going to be really difficult. You know, it's going to take us a few years to establish ourselves before we get going. Key thing that we need is a distribution partner in order to launch into that, somebody that has the connections so we can develop and show the product to the right people to let it sort of accelerate more quickly. Uh, and we're fortunate in that we found that partner and we're currently working through um, what the proposition looks like and, and building that product for launch. So um, that will be in Q2, towards probably towards the back end of Q2. And then from there, we might use that as a spring bed to go into other markets. So thank you very much. And uh, one thing which is going to be really important, I think, is to actually follow your your progress and your, your growth and actually uh, looking at who is going to be this new partner coming into the canopy um, life. One thing actually, um, as we go toward the end of this discussion, one thing which would be great for the audience would be, can you give us three tips? You know, as a business entrepreneur, as a CEO becoming, who became a CEO, looking yeah. at businesses out there, what would be your top three tips you would give others in the market for their own success, learning from your on experiences yeah sure no, no, no. yeah sure i think um actually it comes down to three key things so first one is um you can definitely do more with less and this was actually one of uh sabine you and i know well scott Welchek. he alluded to this actually to me about six months ago it's definitely a principle that we've been sort of working to recently and it, it just makes sense 
whatever you think you can do, you can do more with the same amount, or you can definitely do the same that you're expecting to do now, but with less. So you can definitely do more with less. Now that doesn't necessarily mean people. I know there's an environment where lots of people are facing redundancy at the moment. It doesn't mean that. It means just fundamentally you're spending too much money. You are definitely doing stuff that you don't need to do. You can optimize, you can cut down, you can focus, you can prioritize, and you can definitely deliver more return uh, on investment or bang for your buck. So that's definitely something that we've learned and we've been sort of um, working towards at the moment. The second one is, for us at least, there's definitely an element of while the market is telling us that we need to focus very much on unit economics and break even and profitability, we still can't forget growth. So it's not just about growth for years and years. That's been the thing that obviously most VC-backed companies have focused towards and they've forgotten profitability. But now lots of it, lots of companies are, are, are trying to move fast towards getting profitable. But I think what we've noticed is you can't do that at, this, at the expense of growth. You still need to grow. Um, and that's important because it attracts investment and it, it allows you to keep going, but it also attracts the right partners. One of the things that we've found as we've got bigger is... We now have far more significant inbound organic um, customer volume because people are hearing about us. They know about us. We've got more market share than we used to have. Um, and also we're able to attract more important ecosystem partners because we actually have a volume which is um, additive to them and, and interesting to them. Um, and I think the third thing is, again, it comes back to what I said at the beginning, but really taking time to, to keep yourself in the game figuring what it is that you as an individual need so that you are at your best is, um, is, is absolutely something that, that has been a very personal learning from, from what I've seen in the market uh, and something that, that I heed quite strongly. Yeah. yeah. So, where can people find you? So canopy.rent is our website. Uh, we're also available on uh, iOS and Android app stores as Canopy Rent. And um, yeah, have a download, take a look around and, and see if you're a renter, how it can benefit you. Yeah, and I think people can find you as well on LinkedIn. And I think you also have a nice LinkedIn page as well. So great. Totally, yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing so much actually about rental market, financial resilience. I think a lot of tips which are going to be relevant, not just for the entrepreneur which is in prop tech or fintech or insurance technology and understand the value of ecosystem but also understand the challenges the market is facing in europe as we are trying to get out of our current recessionary uh, situation thank you yeah no thank you so much sabine for having me on appreciate it pleasure If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends, and if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Sabine VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine van der Linden. Thank you.